Are you talking shift? We are. It's time for the We're Talking Shift podcast. Now, now, now. Here to talk shift, Lori Bischoff. We're talking shift. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast where all we do is talk shift because when we feel stuck or when we're ready to level up, we have to shift. And I believe that process begins with our thinking. A shift in our outer world starts with a shift in our inner world. And that, my friends, is the antidote to feeling stuck. Today on episode 58 of We're Talking Shift, I am going to be speaking with Noemi Grace. Noemi Grace. I keep saying her name over and over because it is so pretty. I just love it. Now, Noemi is a psychotherapist and a soul healer who channels new perspectives from the divine on unconditional self-love, forgiveness, divine grace, and life's purpose. Her new book, An Intimate Dialogue with God, The Miraculous Power of Unconditional Self-Love, shares her transformative communication with God and her experience of applying the divine messages to her own life. Noemi is passionate about sharing these beautiful, uplifting messages and helping people to heal patterns, wounds, and losses that have been resistant to healing. A unique aspect of her work is that she channels answers to people's burning questions directly from the divine. So I know that this is very intriguing and I'm excited to get to it and share this deliciousness with y'all. So Noemi, welcome to We're Talking Shift. Oh, I'm so glad to be here, Lori. And I'm looking forward to the deliciousness too. That's what a wonderful introduction. <laughs> Yes, no, absolutely. Your book is delightful. It is. Um, well, we're going to get into it. It's just got so many, you know, it's not a big fat book. It's not like, you know, it's not like the A Course in Miracles with 2000 pages or something. It's, it's, um, but it's so full of really, really awesome messages and wisdom in you know, in less than, I can't remember how many pages it is, but you know, about 20. Yeah. 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 So, um, but it's, but every page is so valuable. I just, I love it. I really enjoyed reading it. Um, yeah, yeah, of of course. So my book, an intimate dialogue with God, the miraculous power of unconditional self-love is the first book in a series. There are three other books. So when you put them together, it might be, it would have been a fat book, but (laughs) really felt like this topic of unconditional self-love deserves its own book because it's so important and it's something so few of us really experience fully. So, um, and it's, it's just easier to read a hundred pages than 400 pages. It just is. It, it totally is. It, you know, I think a lot of people um, picking up a book that looks like, you know, yeah, three, four hundred pages, a thousand pages. It looks so daunting and overwhelming that, you know, they put it back down again. But when you pick up something that looks like, ooh, uh, I can have success with this. I can. I think I could actually get, you know, through this um, and um and then move on to the next one. I think that that is a really smart way to do things. And you're right, this topic of self-love and unconditional self-love, you know, it's a it's a really big one and it's super important. I don't think that um, a lot of people connect the dots between 
self-love and love in every other aspect of how we as people experience it in our relationships. I think that there's, it's a foundational thing that gets overlooked and people start trying to, you know, fill voids and gaps with gathering from the outside. So I I think um, this topic, like you said, does really deserve its own, its own book and its own time um, to really delve into that subject. Oh, yes, I agree. And, um, you know, I also agree with what you said. I mean, when if you ask somebody about unconditional love, of course, I think most of us will think about a parent with a young child or maybe a new relationship, intimate relationship. But unconditional love, few people, I think, are going to say, yeah, that's that's my goal for myself, to love myself that way. Right. Right. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we get into it. But I think what would be really interesting to start off with here, Noemi, is really the journey that ultimately, I think, led you to writing the book. And if I remember right, in uh, when I read when I read it, it was about a prayer that you uttered literally on 9-11. How would you like to take us back and, and share us share with us? Sure. Yeah. Sure. So on 9-11, I was actually completing my, my uh, degree for, to become a psychotherapist, and I was, that was my, I was just taking a final class or two, two classes, and I was in the supervision group in, just across the river in Cambridge, Mass., just across the river from Boston, and Boston is where the planes got hijacked from. And so we, anyone in this area that I live in just had such a strong connection to what was going on. And it was, so I was here in this train station waiting, waiting. And this is a time when it was about noontime. So not that far after everything happened and no trains were coming. I was shell shocked because I had just watched over and over again replays on the TV of the planes and the, the World Trade Center where my father had just retired from a few years earlier. Mm-hmm. And and so I just, I had never experienced anything like that. It was the shock of it. Anything that was like terroristic to me was someplace far away. And I was on this train station and it was really crowded because everything was delayed. Um, and it was silent. And the only thing that pierced the silence was an occasional cry a muffled sob you know Mm -hmm. and I just felt so terrified because I was born and raised in New York City and here I am living in Boston and really impacted like doubly in a way and I was terrified in a way I'd never been and I just was shaking there and I looked around and I saw I looked at people's faces and I saw terror and I it was like this compound terror that I never experienced before and yet I and I felt that and yet I felt this deep compassion for people in a way that I had never experienced before. I mean, training to be a psychotherapist, of course I empathy is something that um a quality that I possess, but, but to have that on a big scale like as this crowded platform with hundreds of people and I just I became overwhelmed with all the feelings that I was feeling and I didn't know what to do and Somewhere deep inside of me comes this voice that speaks out loud on this quiet platform, use me for the healing of the world. It really startled me, 
And But I felt just a smidge better, and so I kept repeating that. Use me for the healing of the world. I'm here. Use me. Use me. The world needs healing, and I'm available. Use me for the healing of the world. And I used that as a mantra for about five hours. It took a long time for the train to come and then get to get out of the parking lot, and then I went for a hike when I got home mm-hmm. to get in the woods and get connected to to nature and where I felt closer to the divine. And um, And I wasn't praying a whole lot at that time. I wasn't, this was, I was not sensing that I was on the spiritual journey. I was going to be a psychotherapist and help people. Mm -hmm. It was more about helping people. And I wasn't really connecting. And in Mm -hmm. that time that I connected, it it just, it really changed me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would think about that. It's not like all of a sudden the divine says, oh, okay, here you are. We're going to use you right now. I mean, over mm-hmm. a decade passed, and I was a psychotherapist, and I became a soul healer, and I started, of course, I'm helping people every day, but once in a while, I think about that prayer, use me for the healing of the world, and I'm like, huh, this must be, you know, the divine's way um, of of using me, and mm-hmm. it really was over a decade later that I started to hear messages from from the divine. That's my favorite word for that which is all-encompassing and bigger. Some people call that God. Some call it spirit. Some say yeah. the universe. I, and I like the universe, too. So the universe has started to talk to me yeah. um, over a decade later, you know, in which point I had pretty much filed that experience away. And I never talked about it. Really, in my book, was the first time I talked about that experience. Mm. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, that's... So really... Uh, I'm like, all right, you, so you, you have this wonderful, beautiful message that comes at a time, you know, that was just very unusual, shall we say, for, um, mm. for to happen in, in America. And you're surrounded by um, masses of, of strangers that you were able to connect um, really on an emotional level with in a way you never had before. And you, mm-hmm. you, you have this mantra and you take it with you. And then really it wasn't, it's not like all of a sudden a book popped out of you. You, it was like 10 years. <laughs> you didn't go to the woods and, and start channeling like, you know, words from God immediately. You, you went on with your life and with your beginning, your practice as a psychotherapist. And then this started to what kind of, you were starting to say the messages were then all of a sudden you were starting to get more messages, I guess, from the divine or God or, yeah, you know, what? Yeah. okay. I'm, I, one of the things when I became a psychotherapist, before being a psychotherapist, I was a software engineer. So I was in the computers. I was the computer geek. And, um, and before, so I didn't have a whole lot of confidence in my ability to help someone because it wasn't like I was in a helping profession when I, so this was a career change for me. And so I, I actually became very mindful in a way that I was not throughout the rest of my life when I'm sitting with somebody and I'm just mindful and I would just say, I want to help this person. I just kind of mm-hmm. help me to help this person became kind of a mantra when I sit with someone and wow. every time, but a lot of the times. And so as I'm help me to help this person, wisdom was coming out of my mouth and I was really not hearing it before it came out of my mouth. So it was, mm. and people would go, wow, wow. And I'd say this, I never said that before. <laughs> I said, I got to write this down. 
And it was just, and people were saying, that's really helpful. And so I started to experience that. And it was, I was like, oh, I like this. You know, this is really cool. You know, I can, I can help <laughs> yeah. people because I, I've got I don't know. Like, extra help. <laughs> Ch- channeling God's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. I, I, Very I, cool. I would, I would go with that. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, I mean, is that how you would kind of refer to it? You know, the, the word channeling a little bit? Yes, I, I, that's how I referred to it. I used to call it downloads, but then people got confused between, like, software and, you know. And I think I called it downloads because I used to be a software engineer, so I, I understood the concept of downloading, and I felt like I was being downloaded. Things were coming, yeah. popping in, you know. So, yeah. So, but channeling is, I, I'm using that now because it's more understood by people than if I say, I, was, I got a download, but that's yeah. what it was like. It was just like, boom, there it is. It, yeah, it is like I like download. I like that a lot. And I think probably as as you already I'm sure know that depending on who your audience is, one might be more fitting than the other, you know, kind of reading mm-hmm. your audience mm-hmm. and and use what the the appropriate metaphor that they're most likely to get and connect the dots, right? Um Absolutely. So, okay, so as a psychotherapist, you know, you're, like you said, trained to heal minds and emotions, and and then suddenly you find yourself doing, you know, channeling and doing soul work with your your clients. So how did this channeling, so to speak, and soul work go over with your psychotherapy clients? And also, um, did you share that with your colleagues, and what did they think? Well, so... So the channeling, you know, the channelings that well, I'll call them downloads. There, and so the downloads yeah. that I was that I've been getting and working with psychotherapy clients are related to healing the mind and emotions, and it would help people to have an, a new perspective or like, oh, huh, you know. So it would be something that in a topic that we're talking about, and it would provide a lot of clarity for people, and it would help people shift. Talking about shift, I yeah, mean, it would help people shift out of that kind of either fixation or mindset that's just been default. Mm-hmm. And so I never said this is coming from God. I said, Oh, Hey, I never said that before. This is pretty cool. I'm going to write it down. Gotcha. So, um, you know, so I, I always respect um, what someone's coming for me for help. And, you know, as a psychotherapist, of course, you're trained to embrace someone's worldview. And so I always just, wherever someone's at, I don't tell them this is a message from God. God wants you to hear this message. Right. <laughs> right. You know, it comes through. And so um, it, it never became a problem in psychotherapy and, and really didn't tell any yeah. colleagues that, oh, I'm, I'm just like becoming, I'm having these brilliant things I'm saying in session. Yeah, that, that's not something <laughs> I would tell anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, she's full of herself. <laughs> right. Yeah, it sounds like a whole lot of awkwardness going on there. I get that. <laughs> Just yeah. So I I didn't, but it really helped. People were getting helped, and then I would write it down, and I could use the same one, the same mm-hmm. thing that I had said. Sure. And so it was helping people, and it was shifting me because a lot of times what I was telling them was something, huh? Well, what about me? You know, am I being a victim here too, or you know, in my own life? And so. It was mm-hmm. helping me as I was helping others, which was kind of cool because on nine eleven I was use me and I wasn't saying use me and help me and it was yeah. this this moment of of selflessness that you know was I'm not selfless by nature you know so right yeah so it's so interesting um, 
Yeah. So let's uh, let's just do a, a little run through on on the chapters. There's five of them, and uh, you know maybe we'll just hit a couple of main points on each one, and um, perhaps I, I, there's a couple sure. that I might want to take a little deeper dive into. But but let's uh, if you're up for it, let's do that. Oh, I think that's great. I'm just gonna, I'm going to take a sip of water here. Yeah. So um, while you do that, I'll just uh, look here. The first one is chapter one is called The Voice and the Choice. So talk to me a little bit about that. So what is the voice and what was or or is the choice? Okay. So the voice, you know, so I started. So what happened was, maybe give a little background here, um, which I talk about in the introduction is how then I started to really channel this body of work that's in this book. Um, in 2012, I was on the elliptical in my, my living room doing a, a morning workout. I was, I was really uh, quite, quite dedicated back then. That's <laughs> something mm-hmm. I want to get back to, but I was very dedicated back then to the morning workout and I would listen to this affirmations recording and so here it is pumping in my, my ears. You got this. Go, girl. You can do this. You're awesome. You're unstoppable. So I'm like saying these things, and all of a sudden, silence. And I'm like, oh, well, okay. I guess technology malfunction or something. And then in that silence, I heard my first message that I was so aware was that could be was completely not from me. Even when I was with psychotherapy clients, it was not something I, I was able to think that it was my higher self or whatever, but this message was so out of the, anything I would ever think. And so the message was love is the fabric of freedom. Forgiveness paves the way to freedom. You will know when you are free, when there's nothing left to forgive, because you see through the eyes of love. Wow. Yeah, I just stopped right in my tracks there, got off that elliptical, wrote it down, and was, God is talking to me. I mean, that point, you know, it was so clear because I was living in judgment a lot, self-judgment mostly, but judgment of other people too, you know, probably judging yeah. everybody. And um, so the the fabric of freedom, well, I never heard a phrase like that before, and forgiveness paving the way of the freedom, oh, I was like, oh, no, forgiveness. And, <laughs> um, but it was, it was just an eyes of love. It's like, oh, it, yeah. it just stopped me. It opened up my perception in a way that had never happened before, and I was like, this is something really amazing. And I wrote it down, and I, I let, I, I would read that, every day for you know a few weeks and then I forgot about that too um and then it wasn't until 2015 that I started to get like I was meditating at that time every day and I still am and that's when the channeling would come the downloads would come in the meditation and okay. I started to get all of this which led me into um the beginning of of um chapter 1 and so the voice to answer your come back to your question mm-hmm. the voice um was the source of this information and, and mm-hmm. i love the word source as well yeah and um so i was receiving these messages for a few months almost every day in meditation and 
I was like, well, this is really wonderful. At one point I said, okay, I really do need to know who I'm talking to. You know, am I talking to some kind of angel or, you know, what is this? Mm-hmm. So the answer was, I am the voice of the oneness you call God. And I just like, whoa, <laughs> you know, it just blew me away. And so that's the voice. The voice that's been speaking to me is the divine voice and um, is the voice mm-hmm. of God. And, you know, it was I had some trouble just kind of owning that in public for a long time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the messages that are in this book are so, they changed my life receiving this so much. They eliminated so much judgment out of my life. And when judgment does come up, because it's an old pattern, yeah, I'm able to recognize it and go, huh, do I really want to be here? Do I really want to take myself down with this? And and I'm mm-hmm. able to shift out of that. So okay. and the choice the choice really is that choice that I made on 9-11, which was use me for the healing of the world. Ah. Because in, in, in this chapter, in, in our communication, I said, why, why me? Why am I getting all these messages? Because as a psychotherapist and soul healer, I'm working one-on-one with people and, and that work is very private and it's very, um, you know, personal. And so it's not like, I can say, hey, I, you know, I work with 35 clients this week. I have seen over 10, uh, 1,000 clients. And, you know, that, that work is private. So it wasn't like you could de- develop really a huge following doing it one-on-one <laughs> psychotherapy like that. So right. for me, I didn't, you know, I was completely somebody that if you asked somebody about me, they wouldn't have known unless they were pretty much a, a, a friend or a client. So yeah. So it was this, this, I was, so I said, why me? I mean, I even have friends that, you know, have followings. Why don't, you know, why me? I just, and that, well, the answer was, you prayed that prayer. They didn't. And, you know, we're using them in different ways, but you oh. have to be used for the healing of the world. And, and one of the primary things that needs to be healed is the lack of love that we all have for ourselves. Okay. Because if every person on this planet loved themselves, there would be no war. There would be it, none of this greed and, and, and meanness that right. we see so much in this world. Because if you love yourself, mm-hmm. as the Bible says, you will love your neighbor as yourself. Which means if you loathe yourself, you're going to loathe your neighbor too. Um, right. So it right. just became, yeah. So in this this message, the messages in this first chapter are about opening up to a bigger perspective it it talks about the purpose of the soul and why we're on this journey and um and it also talks about you know the book series that that i'm channeling and this is the first book of course in the series so um it it really sets the foundation for something Mm -hmm. much bigger than me just me loving myself right me loving myself helps the world helps helps the evolution of, of mankind, me loving myself helps way more than just me. Yeah, exactly. I, I get that. And, uh, and you're right. It's, uh, kind of the root of everything is, is self-love people. If you have enough, if you have ample and you're full of self-love, you're not in pain of any sort. And people that are not in pain have no desire for anybody else to be in pain. <laughs> so right. it and, it does solve it, a lot of problems. It absolutely does. And you know, the Buddha said that that pain 
there's some like physical pain is inevitable. You know, you're going to cut yourself, you're going to get hurt, you're going to yeah, something's going to happen. But suffering is yeah. what is is the optional thing, Option. and suffering. Um, Alberto Valdo, who who uh, worked with shamans in the high um, Andes, says that suffering is when you wrap a story around your pain, so you become a victim of, of this pain. Like, oh, somebody broke, you know, you, a relationship ended, and this bad thing happened to me, and you become a victim, and you, you start suffering because you, you don't, we don't, we don't like to sit with the pain, so we like to, we always, we're story spinners, we start telling stories, and, and that's actually, in chapter right. two, we talk, it talks a little bit about the story we tell ourselves, and how we are um, telling ourselves stories all the time, that we're just, we are storytellers and mm-hmm. most of the time it's just going to be this tragedy or some people are just full of comedy, but sometimes underneath the comedy there's tragedy and you know, yeah. it's not usually a love story about our life unless we have other people that we're saying, ah, this is the source of my love from this person and this person. Yeah. And, yeah. um, makes sense. So, yeah. So, so chapter two, the love filter, change your filter, change your life. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. Change your filter. Yeah. So this is really cool because I, I never considered the concept of filter before. Um, and so what a filter is, perception is, is what we see out there, which is not necessarily exactly what it is, even I've read that our the, our sense of colors is not exactly what what is actually out there. So two people in the conversation, each one has a perception of what occurred. And so when mm-hmm. I do couples counseling, and you know the couple comes in, well things are going really well. We had this big fight. Okay, like just on a high level, tell me what 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 the fight was about. And person A is one thing person b says something completely different and mm-hmm. then they start fighting about the fight you know it's just like, right. okay hold on okay who's wrong it doesn't right. matter what it was about we're, we're gonna you know we're gonna learn some tools yeah. um so and um in, in, in my book i talk there's a there's a little passage there where the divine reminds me that i had this boss one time many years ago when i was still um a software engineer who and I, I started to say, hey, we're doing this demo with smoke and mirrors. And he goes, doesn't matter. The perceived reality is more important than the real reality. And I was pissed. I just walked out of there. I said, that is mm-hmm. that's bullshit, I said. And I walked <laughs> out of there, you know. And I was just in this place. of I was so angry. I thought, he's just trying to shut me up by saying something so ridiculous that I, I have no comeback. And, uh-huh. um, and then I realized, you know, and through this the messages, the downloads in this second chapter that perception is what we live by. You know, if you perceive somebody to be kind, you're going to experience them as kind. If you can perceive them to be a jerk, you're going to experience that. If you perceive yourself to be either of those things, that's how you're going to perceive yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we often, so our filter is how we, the filter is like a lens on a camera. It's what we do to, what happens in our life, it's, it's how we screen it, how we view it. Once something goes through the filter, that's what we see. And so um, our default filters, because of the programming that we've all had, um, 
according to the divine, are victim consciousness and judgment. So, and I've never met someone who's never had any judgment or yeah. has never experienced themselves as a victim. And um, so we're living by default, you know, as, mm-hmm. as Abraham would say, we live by default. We just, if we're not conscious, if we're not mindful, if we're not aware, we're just living by default. And default means we're going to see things through that lens of victim, right. victimhood and judgment. And so instead of that, it was, have you ever considered filtering your life through love, through self-love, through love of others, through, through love? And I was like, huh, not really. I never considered that. Mm-hmm. And so in that love filter, the way, one way to apply that is to use a couple of questions. And the first question is, what do I see when I look at this? From love, and this could be myself, could be somebody else, it could be a circumstance. What do I see? I look at this from love, and for me, that's helped so much in seeing the vulnerability in someone else that I might be judging, seeing my own vulnerability, seeing, oh, okay, this person isn't trying to be mean to me, or maybe they are trying to be mean to me, but you know, look at yeah. their life, look at their, you know, what they've been through, and ever, so much has been so much meanness that they've had to take on that I understand where they're coming from. doesn't mean I say it's okay to be mean, but I I can say, okay, I can have compassion for the mean. Right. Forgiveness. Yeah. Forgiveness. Exactly. Yeah. Second question being, what do I choose when I choose from love? So Mm -hmm. choosing from love, right? So if I'm judging somebody and I feel like they've, I feel attacked by something they've said and I'm judging that and I'm judging them that I'm either going to defend or attack back. Right. So what do I choose when I choose from that feeling attack? It's going to be like, I'm probably going to attack back unless I yeah. have, asked, you know, my analysis says there's no winning this one, then I'll defend or, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. something retreat. else. But yeah. Yeah. Retreat, yes. Mm-hmm. And my, my personality is not, my ego personality is not so retreatable. Yeah. <laughs> well, if, I'm, if I'm stuck in that place. So it's going to probably defend, you know. Sure, and sure. And that's our conditioning. Often, but it's usually yeah. defend. Yeah. And, and that's our conditioning, too, is, you know, just as a society, I think, as you know, as humans, we, we've just been conditioned yeah. for for attack and defend and or attack and counterattack or attack and retreat. I mean, that's just kind of been the human condition for a long, long time. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you had to defend against, you know, some other tribe because your your food was, this is your mm-hmm. food, you're going to starve if you don't defend. So we learned for survival, you defend and you attack. Yeah. You know, so yeah. you attack, you know, if you can win, you attack. If not, you try to defend, you know. And so it's become so conditioned within us that we don't think about our reactions. And so this love filter is is really bringing awareness to how we see things and how we choose things because we are just reacting so often something happens and we react and we react and we react and we we kind of have that knee-jerk reaction because Mm -hmm. that's what we've done before and we're programmed our brains are programmed to continue the status quo so we're programmed to do what we've done before unless it's been really painful then we have the memory of the pain comes up and we're like, ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
probably not going to say something like to the boss, like, yeah, you know, inappropriate, because then you're going to lose a job and maybe you've lost the job before, you know. Yeah, you know what the so, consequences are. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that's the thing uh. that interrupts usually the default programming is some big consequence. But we can choose differently. We can choose mm-hmm. to be willing to see someone from love, to see ourselves from love, to have that compassion, to see the vulnerability instead of always seeing the right this person is a mean yeah we can make a conscious we can make a conscious choice rather than than just being in default mode which is the patterned way exactly yeah got it exactly beautiful and that was you know that was the very first message i received with those two questions and um that really starting to use those and i would hear once in a while are you they call these the operative questions are you using your operative questions i'd be like oh no, eyes of love. Okay. You know, and so I'd start to use that and, and it would really, I mean, there were some people in my life that, that are important people that I, you know, couldn't just walk away from that, that I just had a lot of judgment towards. It was like, well, why do I have to do everything? Or why do I have to do, why can't they, you know? Yeah. And it just became like seeing, seeing their struggles, seeing where they're coming from, having compassion for them. And, doesn't mean that now I become a doormat because I'm actually less of a doormat, not that, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I can, I can have the compassion for myself as well and so, for them and then say, this is what I need. Yeah. Yeah. So it's something that probably so many people can relate to when it comes to family dynamics and just employing that, um, that love filter could completely shift your family dynamic to something that is, you know, m- much much more easy and um, much less resistance and suffering and judgment, like you say. Sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Chapter three, love yourself first. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That that was like, are you kidding me? Love myself first because I I was taught to love everybody else before me, to think about everybody else's needs before my own. Um, that a, this is what a good person does, and a specifically a good woman is going to put everybody's needs before her own and and think about how to take care of everybody else and anticipate their needs. Oh, they're going to need this. Let me let me offer it before they even ask, and and mm-hmm. not really ask myself what I might need. Mm-hmm. And um, so one of the things that's in that chapter three is if you do not love yourself, you miss the entire point of life. Yes. Love is why you're here. Love is the truth that sets you free, but only when your love includes you. And, um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So loving yourself first is putting yourself on the same level as everybody else. So whoever's at the top level that you love more than everybody else, you, you love yourself at that level, you know? So if you're loving your children more than everybody else, love yourself there. Why do you think, yeah, like, yeah, you're at the bottom of the, you know, hierarchy there. Um, Mm -hmm. Why do you think that that is so difficult for most people? Well, it's just, you know, we're social beings and so many of us, I, I know certainly for females, but there are also many males that are programmed this way as well is like, right. So the female version is, you know, be the, you know, take care of everybody. Right. Take, you know, do 
do what, you know, anticipate and so forth. And the male version, which is equally painful, is like provide for everybody. Right. Uh, and these are, of course, some people are, have the, the male version and they're female and vice versa, you know, but this is yeah. the, the sort of generally more general. So provide yeah. for everybody, which means I see as a psychotherapist, a lot of men in the 40s and 50s who are hate their jobs and they make lots and lots of money and they feel totally trapped because they have to provide for their family. They've com- made a basically commitment yeah. that they're going to be the one. And sometimes it is the woman who's an attorney or whatever, but, but um, it's, it's that person that that's taken on that role. I have to provide for everybody. I have to be the source for everybody I've, or the person who has to be the rock for her family or, mm-hmm. or his family. And, and so all of these things we are, programmed from an early age one by the messages we're taught but also what we've observed from our parents mm-hmm. and older siblings and and we're programmed to to be not self-serving and obviously there are self-serving people in this world and i would really hope that some of them would read this book because it would really help them but you know the, the, mm-hmm. You know, I just put that out there, but but for the most part, we're taught we're taught to not not be that. Most of us are taught to yeah. not be self-serving, not and and it's not that you know. So I'm not saying be be self-absorbed, self-centered, but put yourself in the center with everybody else. Yeah. Because when you don't love yourself, and most people say they love themselves, but love is demonstrated by our actions. You know, the action speaking louder than words. So if we don't love ourselves, we have no time for self-care. You know, we we don't take time to do something that brings us joy, like or something, oh, I really like to watch this show, but I don't have time and I'll DVR it and I never watch it. Or or I like to go out with my friends once in a while and we go to dinner and we'll catch up. But, oh, no, 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 I've got too many things to do with the kids. And and so we, we... yeah, out of balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if there's spare, it's like if there are crumbs left, then those are for us. <laughs> and so that becomes, that creates a lot, a lot of people that are suffering and pain, yeah. you know, yes. over time, doing that for years and years and years and years and not thinking of your own needs, not considering them, not taking care of them. You know, it's like yeah. the oxygen mask on the airplane. Right. You have to put yours on first or you're going to lose consciousness before you put it on the kids. Right. So. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a weird, it's a weird dynamic that has been programmed into us. It really is. And, you know, I think, and this is actually a little bit bleeding over into chapter four here, but, um, you know, since we're talking about self-love, I think, I think maybe it's difficult for people to distinguish between the, the difference between being self-centered and self-love. And then I also think, so there's that, what, you know, talking about let's, so let's talk about the difference between being self-centered and self and having self-love. And then also, I think that, um, sometimes people, um, decide that, uh, what's the word they get confused on what exactly is, what kind of self-care is self-love? Like, 
Do you relax your standards because you love yourself? So even though you're, you know, for example, trying to lose 50 pounds, but you're going to, um, you love yourself so much, you're going to let yourself eat the whole cake. I mean, you know what I mean? <laughs> Cause I love and myself. That is so self-love that is right? self-abuse. And yes, that is coping. But... <laughs> that's a, that is yes. a coping strategy. And so, but you know what I'm saying, right? It's like I do know what you're saying. People can and, talk themselves you know, into it. Like, oh, I love yeah. myself so much, so I'm just going to relax and I'm going to enjoy, you know, that, you know, fill in the blank thing that's actually, you right. know, could and be I, hard. And I will say, because binge eating is one of my specialties as a psychotherapist, <laughs> that it is not an act of self-love when you do that. Right. When you eat the whole cake, it is an act right. of self-abuse. And it, on either an act of self-abuse or the only thing that makes you feel better in life is that little pick-me-up mm-hmm. in, that, in that moment. So maybe not in your whole life, but in that moment, that's the thing that you look at. Maybe everybody else is sleeping, so there's nobody to talk to, and you go down and finish that. You go for the... Mm-hmm. the Ben and Jerry's and you, you eat the whole it, thing. You know? Yeah. It's and, almost like you feel like you're drowning and that's your lifeline. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have, because we've been taught to not put ourselves equal with everyone else, which is what love yourself first means. It's like put yourself in the first position. doesn't mean you knock everybody down a peg. It means you love yourself in the same way that you love those that are most important because mm-hmm. we are important, you know? So, the when we love ourselves, we have less need for that coping because we've been doing things to take care of ourselves for the day. We might, and sometimes we, that means you say no to somebody. You know, people right. that say yes all the time that everybody's like, oh, ask, let's ask so and so because they're always willing. Well, that will always willing person may be hurting themselves by saying yes all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's it's oh. really a different. There's self-care that is a slice of, of the cake, but mm-hmm. but it is not self-care to eat the whole cake. And, <laughs> right. And there's sometimes self-care is to not have any cake because you're you're like, hmm, I'm really, I'm really, um, I feel uncomfortable in my body and I want to feel comfortable, so I'm not going to have cake in it for a while, or I'll have the sliver. I'm not going to deprive myself, but that whole that piece, the, that slice is huge. I'm going to have a quarter of that slice. And yeah. So it becomes actually thinking about what is the kindest thing you can do for yourself here. Yeah. And so like there's that. in chapter three, there's the statement that I was given to to fill to fill in every day is I love myself enough to dot dot dot. So I love myself enough to eat the whole cake. Hmm. So I love myself enough to have a sliver so I can taste it. Um, and I'm also looking at the fact that I'm feeling uncomfortable in my body. My clothes don't fit. I really want to feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Which is another thing I like. You have the, the wonderful little notes at the end of each chapter that a person can, um, use to help, you know, kind of retrain their thinking and, and practice exactly. that they've just read about, which is wonderful. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, the ego. And you talk about a lot about that in your book. And I, I love the subject of the ego because it is such a big fat subject and it's, <laughs> yes, it is. it's, it's a big fat subject about a, about a big fat thing that we all come into this world with apparently. And, you know, like what is up with it? Why do we all have one? It, it, the ego gets a bad rap 
you know, understandably, but is there any aspect of it that's good? What, yeah. what do we need to know about this thing? <laughs> okay. So first, number one thing to know is that you are not your ego. We learn to associate ourselves with our ego. So in chapter four, it, the title of that is you are uniquely loved, not loved with a D, but love. You are love. We all are love, but we are all unique. So it's not just like, oh, we're all the same. On some level, we're all the same. On, on a really important level, we're all unique. And so we have learned about uniqueness through the ego. And the ego is necessary to survive in our world. So we can't, you know, it's, it's sort of like a, another, a layer of, of, of skin, another layer or something that, that gives us protection. It's like applying the, the uh, sunscreen, you know, so you're out, you're protected from yeah. intense okay. sun. So the ego is something like that. And so we need it. But when you identify yourself as that, and we have an identification problem as a species, right? We identify ourselves. I am a psychotherapist. I am a solio. That's who I am. Well, it's what I do. It's not mm-hmm. who I am. And so I am a mother. I am a child. I am, you know, we, we think those are, we identify with those roles. The roles, and, yeah. Yeah. And so, and it's not, that's not who we are. So, so the ego, um, we also over-identify ourselves with the ego. We think we are our ego. And our ego is that extra layer of protection, just like the sunscreen that we put on in this world to exist, to survive, which is the ego's first and foremost goal is to survive, right? We have to survive. That's, that's, we developed an ego to make sure that extra layer, it's like the extra layer of skin, the, like the sunscreen, something mm-hmm. that we put on to protect. And, and then if we can survive, now we want to be special. We want to stand out in some way, shape, or form um, because being special is very important to the ego. And one of the things that, that I love about in Chapter 4 is that the divine says we are all uniquely special and that who we really are is that we're uniquely love, L-O-V-E, not, not loved, but love. Our essence is love. The truth of who we are is love. Underneath that extra layer called the ego, way down deep down inside, we are love. That is the divine, the seed of the divine that's in us is love. Yeah. So we yeah. are we are that. We are that and we're uniquely that because nobody has had the same exact experience that we've had. Nobody has that same exact perception. And it's our uniqueness that's really important. And so the ego helps us to to notice that. Our uniqueness is important, but getting in touch with the uniqueness as love, getting in touch with the uniqueness as the essence of who we are and living from that place, it's kind of a vulnerable thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's saying, I'm not going to make all my choices from ego, or at least this next choice, I'm going to go and see what my heart wants to do, what, what really resonates with me at a deep level, rather than reacting from ego, because ego is... Or, or reactor, it reacts. And, um, yeah. So, so. oh, I, I would like to has, ask you to explain um, what you mean by what's the difference between the true self and true essence. I know you that you use those yeah. references in there, and you know how yeah. how the ego, uh, you know, will, comes into play there. But they're but they're different. Um, so, yeah, yeah. 
also the true self is is who we truly are, which is this timeless spiritual being that's sitting here in a human body. So the first layer is the human body. The second layer is this ego. So we've got layers over us because we are really, we are so much bigger than this physical container that we live in. And so we're some, we are this big, amazing being of divine and coming into human. And so the first container is the body, and then we have the, the ego container. So the truth self is the truth of who we are. Mm-hmm. And so it is that we are not our ego, but we don't know who we are unless we are willing to even consider, huh, if I'm not my ego, who am I? And start to get to know ourselves. Because the problem is we don't really know ourselves. We know ourselves as ego. So Yeah. We are know ourselves as our personalities, too. Yes, our personalities, which are are our unique. That is the ego uniqueness. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's the ego's version of uniqueness. Well, my personality is larger than life, and that's me. Or, you Mm -hmm. know, I have a a um, self-deprecating personality or a Mm -hmm. caring for others personality. And so we know ourselves in that level. And that is the, the outermost level, you know. Yeah. So to actually know yourself as more than that. And so sometimes I'll give clients this exercise. What's lovable about me is, and you've got to do at least 10 items, 20 is better. Yeah. And they can't do it or they can get two or three. And so I say, ask people. I had one, one young woman who was active on social media come in with 138 distinct things that were lovable about herself because she put it out there. And she's like, I cannot believe this. This is what people say. They must be crazy. I said, no, well, maybe not. Since since, uh, they're saying this, it's probably true because they know you better than you know you. And so so, um, the truth of who we are, other people can sometimes say, oh, you're so compassionate. Yeah. um, Yeah. It's surprising sometimes what you get back that you don't expect when you ask other people a question like that about yourself. It's uh, very enlightening. It is enlightening. And so, you know, I did that exercise once a long time ago and I heard all this in some kind of workshop I did. And and the things I heard from people were just like, are you kidding? That can't be. But I was hearing the same thing from multiple people. I was like, yeah. And then there's always, then there's the thing where you think you're something and then all the feedback comes back. No, I I don't see that in you at all. And you're like, well, what the heck? (laughs) I thought I was, but not so much, kid. (laughs) And that can also be what you project down into the world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because I did this, this, this workshop once I used to, I went through a phase where I was doing a lot of these personal growth workshops. So I went through this workshop, you stand up in front of the room and everybody at the beginning, the very first day. And everybody shouts out what they see about you. So, and I'm standing there, and so I get somebody going too soft, and the next person goes too hard, too this, too that. It was all a whole bunch of of <laughs> contradictory, opposite stuff. And I was like, wow, what am I? I I, I had enough sense <laughs> to know this is what I'm projecting. Some people are seeing it this way, and some people are seeing it that way. And maybe one moment I'm hard, and the next moment I'm soft, and. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just seemed like, wow, 
<laughs> it was yeah. eye-opening. Like, which one of these do I really want to project? <laughs> well, plus, as you talked about earlier, they're all seeing you and what you're projecting through their own filters. So they're going to receive exactly. you differently. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's, it's so fun. Okay. It's so, so, fun. <laughs> so, the, so the true essence then yeah. is that aspect of, of the true self of the truth of who you are. That's unique. That's us. That's uniquely us. No two people, even if you have the same worldview, the same values are going to be mm-hmm. 100% the same because right. we all have different experiences. And so um, that true essence is the truth of who we are. And at one point in my, my journey through all this, um, I was told I'm a gracious, loving presence. And I have to tell you, I wanted to barf. I was like, I <laughs> cannot embrace that. Firstly, gracious. I don't feel gracious. I feel judgmental. Loving. Okay. Uh, no, I, Emmy, I your last name. No, Emmy, your last name is Grace. I mean, I okay. know. I'm just saying. Yeah, so that's in your face, right? The right. last name of Grace. But, <laughs> but it just didn't. And Noemi means sweet. So, and I really didn't. When I found out what my name meant, I was, as when I was an adolescent, I was like, this is bad. I'm going to oh. rename myself, you know? <laughs> so, and presence. Like, what kind of thing is that, you know? So uh-huh. it is the truth, but the more, and so when I was told that I was that, I started to use that as a mantra. I am a gracious, mm-hmm. loving presence, I, and it shifts me. So sometimes when I'm feeling irritable, agitated, you know, because I'm still human, we're all human, yeah. we're all going to have moments where we're not seeing through eyes of love. Sure. And, um, and I can just say I'm a gracious, loving presence, and I say that over and over again because I've learned to embrace that, and it shifts me. It mm-hmm. changes me. So it's, it's really, I love chapter four because it tells us that we're so much bigger than we think we are, and yet we're uniquely beautiful and wonderful in a way that most of us, would not think of ourselves and when we can discover that unique essence that true essence it really and owning that it just has the power to shift you big time without you having to do a lot of work yeah it doesn't have to be hard does it no, it doesn't, but that's not what we've learned. No. You know, it's we, like no pain, no gain kind of a thing that we've right. got, you know. Well, right, and we, we think somehow it's more valuable if it's harder to attain. But um, but again, that's just programming, I think. It doesn't have to be, you know, we, we, we just love to make things overcomplicated and difficult for ourselves, don't we? I guess it just gives us all something to do. But Well, it's just the ego complicates things it just yeah. does because it, it it it's the ego is very conniving and strategizing and all of that so it does complicate things you know yeah. this person can't just really be telling me what they're telling me there must be something else they're they're doing something kind for me it must be that they want something from me or you know the ego is always looking for that ulterior motive that that yeah. meaning that, you know, that hidden meaning kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So before we move on to the last chapter, what the last point about the ego that I think I'd like to leave people with is, um, you know, one of the things that you say um, when you're talking about discerning your true self from the ego is, 
um, yes, ego limits you, but ego is not bad and it has its necessary place. Now, Absolutely. I, yeah, yeah. So even though we may not need our ego to protect us from, you know, um, you know, running from lions and, you know, uh, warring, <laughs> warring neighboring tribes, not here anyway. Um, but how do we collaborate with our ego so that we are using it in our best interest and not letting it use us? Right. Great question. You know, and, and so in, in the book, The Divine talks about how the ego is actually very gifted and has a lot of skills. It's developed a lot of skills to serve us because its primary motive being survival and then specialness. And so it's trying to serve. Um, us and so it's developed a lot of skills so the best use of the ego is to use it as needed to have it be your ally and not your master so not have it calling the shots but just be okay I need the ego so yeah yeah you know, I, I have this new car and it has this strange I came in I came at nine o'clock at night coming off from work and there's moisture inside the rear window and I'm like this is not supposed to be happening I mean this is a new new car mm -hmm. and you know so I go in there and they're you know and I took it in for my first service and I told them about this and they're like well if you run the air conditioner all the time it should be fine I said well I'm not going to run the air conditioner with 10 degrees and secondly this is a problem and my car is under warranty and while you don't know it's a very strange problem may not know what to do we need to figure out a time that I can drop it off and you guys can research this because, you know, so if I just took, yeah. oh, just run the air conditioner, I might be getting a mold problem in my car. You know, it's like mm -hmm. we need that ego. We need to assert ourselves sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. but it's always that knee-jerk reaction. The knee-jerk reaction is always an ego reaction. So, um, okay. you know, and the, those people were very nice. I mean, they they were the car dealer was very nice and they agreed with me and, you know, because – I was able to use the ego not from an angry place or I can't believe you're just telling me to run the air conditioner every day or, you know, yeah. And, okay. Um, you know, and, and so I was able to use the ego, say, okay, ego, I need you, you know? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so using that to, to take a stand and say, no, this is not okay with me. This is not acceptable for me. This is not going to work. Mm -hmm. and so, okay. I know, get it. So there's times. Yeah. So we need yeah. the ego. If somebody's coming at us with our ego, we might see them with eyes of love and see the vulnerability and all of that, but, but we may sometimes need to also put on that layer, put on the sunscreen layer, put on the ego layer and say, yeah, that's really not okay with me. Right. The way you're talking to me is not okay with me. Yeah. Right? That you makes yelling. You, you know, the ego don't, you, Oh, I see with eyes of love. I don't <laughs> mind it. You know, so I, you know, you can yell. No disrespectful to yell at someone and the way you're talking to me is not okay and so it's really learning to 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 live more from who we are and and knowing when do i need to to bring out that skill which is the ego the ego that's going to be self-protective mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. do i need to be a little self-serving and knowing when to bring that out and to to, mm -hmm. to take a stand yeah, that makes sense, which is, you know, th that perfect word that you used when we we're talking about this section in the book, um, discernment, discerning Absolutely. when that, when that is. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And it's so important. And, and one of the things I've learned for myself when I absolutely feel like I have to say something, I, I can't hold it back. I can't wait. I can't know. I can't sleep on it because I won't be, be able to sleep because it's so important. It's so vitally important. 
that's my ego, and it's not vitally important, and I'm going to regret it. So I need to, uh-huh. I need to find a way to to put it to the side for a while. You know, yeah, that's hard. It's hard because yeah. I'm plugged into it. I need to tell them how I feel about this, you know, and right. And that's not always that true. Way, <laughs> right. Right. Cause then you have to ask yourself, is, is that really true? Is that really, really true that I have to do this? Um, so yeah, there is a, there is, there is a very conscious collaboration you need to have between yourself and your ego self. Uh, for sure. Absolutely. And just being conscious. And, you know, in that moment, it was almost like I, I wasn't saying I'll pull out my ego when I was talking to the dealer, you know, the service people, but I, I just was like, "Mm." still coming from that gracious presence that I am, but saying that's really not okay. This is, this is a problem, you know? Yeah. Thanks, but no thanks. That doesn't work for me. So (laughs) new strategy. All right. Exactly. All right. Chapter five, the self-acceptance miracle. All right. So, <laughs> okay. All so, right. Well, why is acceptance so such a powerful thing? Yeah. Let's talk about that for a it's minute. It's such a powerful thing because in acceptance, you embrace without judgment what is. And we, so when we don't accept, we're back to that default filter of judgment and victim consciousness. And in acceptance doesn't mean you make it okay. It means that you're not fighting it. You're not resisting it. You're, right, somebody may get a diagnosis, a medical diagnosis that's not one that you ever want to get. If you don't accept it at some level, you know, you're fighting uh-huh. it. No, I'm not sick. I'm going to, you know, I'm still yeah. going to go climb mountains and do all this stuff. Well, mm-hmm. and now, you know, you're knee, you need a knee replacement, but you're going to climb mountains. It's going to cost you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in that acceptance is just a the surrender, which is not like giving up the white flag. It is like saying, I'm not going to fight this. I'm not going to waste my energy on this. This is something that is. It is what it is. It is here. I could, to, to resist this is wasting a lot of my energy and time, you know. Mm-hmm. And so so that's the, the stuff that we don't want to accept on, that we look at negative. But in the chapter, you'll also hear that there's a lot of stuff that's really wonderful that we want to accept. Like when I was told I was the gracious, loving presence and wanted to barf, mm-hmm. I, like, I can't accept this. This is like a little too much. This is not how I experience myself, you know. And yeah. so when I start to learn to accept that, that changed me. And so acceptance, it talks about acceptance being a miracle because it changes us. A miracle is a change within us, you know. Course in Miracles talks about the change in perception being a miracle. And yes. So when we when when something changes within us on on its own, <laughs> that's a miracle. So when we accept, now things are completely the landscape is different. I see everything so differently. And mm-hmm. we've been taught to not accept. We've been taught to not accept because we've been taught that we're not acceptable. We are, you know, oh, you did that thing? Very bad. Shame on you. And you know, we've all been taught that. It's not that our parents were bad or anything. It's just what we learned. We, mm-hmm. What we learn, we do. So when we teach. And so we've been taught that we're not completely acceptable. And therefore, we can't accept ourselves. We must reject those parts of ourselves that we wish were different. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very closely related to approval, that. isn't it? Self-approval, approval Excuse from me? others. It's very oh, closely approval. related to approval then. 
Yeah, in a way, approving of yourself, wanting approval from others. Yeah, it's it's like they're kind of related. Right, but you can accept things that you don't like. So you don't have to say, I approve of this. It's just like it is what it is. Every once in a while, I get reactive and I say something I regret. Okay, just, oh, that thing happened, I did it. I accept that I did that. I'm not really <laughs> patting it on the back and say I approve, but I'm not disproving either. And it's more of a neutral place, stance, you know? Like, okay, yeah. uh-huh, yeah. here it is. Okay, so I did that. Yep, oops. Didn't okay. listen, just cut, cut off my husband, didn't listen to what he had to say, thought I knew what he had to say, and I said, I don't want that, you know? Yeah. And then found out, oh, huh, actually, I do want that, but I didn't listen, you know? So Right, right. Kind of just, you know, okay. So, yep, I was impatient. And so I accept that. Okay. Not that I want to be impatient, you know. So it is slightly different, but um, so, it, you know, approval is, is, is in that kind of duality of good, bad thing. Okay, so this mm-hmm. is an okay thing. And okay. it's not that it's not okay, but it's just more neutral. It's like, okay, so I wasn't patient. Yeah, mm-hmm. I might not really, I don't really want to be impatient, so I'm going to bring more awareness to that and mm-hmm. recognize okay. that when I feel that, urge inside of me to just shout or not shout, but, but to say, no, you know, like I better listen before I open my mouth, I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. Yeah. And acceptance, just to clarify, I think for listeners too, acceptance doesn't necessarily mean that you, um, um, don't moving forward, want to make any changes. That's not what acceptance is about, right? That's it's correct. about, it's about oh, like owning the thing or owning the moment or accepting yeah. what is without resistance. And then you can make a, a, a clear, um, conscientious choice moving forward if you need to make a change. Right. And so in this impatient example, and I use that because I have been known to be that at times, um, <laughs> you know, if I own it, I'm not defending myself. I was like, oh, I didn't listen. You didn't listen to me. You're right. I didn't listen. I, I got hasty. I thought I knew what you're talking about. And you know what? Actually, I was triggered. And to own that, I got triggered and I leaped. I leaped to a conclusion that was not not accurate. And I'm, I'm really sorry about that. And so you can apologize, you know, when you can own something in a way that right. isn't like scraping skin off of you. You know, it's yeah. just like, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's just like, oh. Yeah, I really was impatient. I was hasty, you know. Right. Yep, that is right. a pa- I get it. I've done that before. It is a pattern. I'm working on it. I'm now going to bring more awareness if I can next time. Yeah, I love that. So, Noemi, what what would you tell other people who would like to have this same type of relationship and connection and, and receive this type of communication from, from source, or as you like to say, the divine, you know, so clearly and directly as you, as you've been able to do? Well, that's a great question. And actually I had this yearning when I read conversations with God, when it first came out, yeah. I threw like a little bit of a temper tantrum. I, <laughs> how come I can't, no, I want this. Why should he have it? What about me? I, I believe in God. I want to have a conversation with God. And I was like, like really wanting that. And mm-hmm. so if you're really wanting something, firstly, like some people will, will read it and go, well, that's really kind of neat. Oh, okay. And other people go like, oh, I want that, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, then if we have that strong desire, then that means that there is 
we got to honor that desire. We have to recognize, okay, if I really want that, that's, that's the true self. That's the truth of me going, yes, yes, that's for me. And so um, wanting to have that, you have to learn to start to listen, right? So I started to listen in my psychotherapy sessions and even when I wasn't listening in my life. And, and I started to listen to the synchronicities, the, the different things that were happening, coincidences, the things that people were saying to me, you know, oh, you really are so much compassion. You could really help people. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm a software geek. I don't have compassion, you know? And so you start to listen. If you want to listen to God, if you want to listen to Source Divine, if you want to be able to hear that, start listening. Start listening to what's going on, not from the ego, but from the deeper place, from the heart. Start to listen to what you're not hearing in your life, because we're all not hearing things. Because there's so many messages coming at us. Yeah. And um, but listen. Let's start to listen to what's your truth. Start to listen to maybe what the other person isn't telling you, um, but because it's too vulnerable to them for them start to listen to what's happening around you and so and have that desire and say someday i'm going to talk to god just own it claim it someday i'm going to talk to source i'm going to channel source i'm going to have this relationship with the divine and and also then you have to also be willing to put some time into this relationship, right? If you want to have a relationship with somebody mm -hmm. and you, you don't spend, I'm too busy for them, but I want to have a relationship with them. It's not going to happen. So it's kind of also making time. You know, Good point. Good point. That. Yeah. 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 Meditation or reading some, some kind of a spiritual mm -hmm. book or, you know, things that will yeah. take you to that deeper place. Yeah, yeah, you have to do something to cultivate the relationship. You can't just, you mm -hmm. know, put put out the ask, but then continue on, you know, filling your time a hundred percent with everything but cultivating that. Exactly. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So, do you have a going rogue story for me, Noemi? I do, and and so and it's very related to what I just said about listening. So, so as I've, I've alluded to, I was a software engineer for a long time. I got a master's in computer science way, way back when, and I was doing this career and I was, I felt, I got to, at first it was fun. It was kind of interesting and cool to, to do these, figure out how to do the software and write these programs. And then after a while, it was just like, ugh, another programming language, another program. It's like, ugh. And I just, and I'm sitting there waiting for the, the bug, waiting for the thing to crash, sitting there staring at the screen for hours on end. And, um, I was just feeling really dead on the inside, even though I was making a lot of money. And um, I started to travel a lot on business by myself and sitting in airports. Um, I started to, people started to approach me in airports. I'm sitting in the, some cafeteria in an airport and that's empty. And people would come and say, hey, can I sit? Is that seat taken? I'm thinking, why are they going to sit with me? There's all these tables that are empty. But I'm like, Shh, oh, no, go ahead. And then they start uh -huh. telling me their life story. And at the end, and this happened at least half a dozen times. And the last time it happened, it was with my boss who I was traveling on a business trip with. And they said, you would make a great therapist. Are you a therapist? You would make a great therapist. And I hmm. was like, my boss told me I'd make a great therapist. So I thought, oh, boy, you're in trouble because uh -huh. <laughs> <where> I'm going. <laughs> so, <laughs> And so I started to recognize that, okay, I'm hearing this from strangers. Maybe there's some truth to it. And um, 
you know, so, and then I started to really consider that. I started, I knew a few people who were therapists and I talked to them about, do you love your job? And then I looked into programs, um, master's programs um, in psychology. And then um, I just, I was just really, really, really depressed in my life and I thought I cannot continue with this and I, I thought I can load myself up with a bunch of meds or if I don't I'll probably go to the hospital at some point or I can make a change in my life and I'm not saying that people shouldn't take psych meds because a lot of my clients do and they are valuable um, but for me I, the depression was more um, circumstantial it was more like I, I just hated my life rather than t- purely biochemical I just looked at it and I thought, this is meaningless. This is just so empty and this is just so painful to get up every single morning and go sit and wait for that that program to crash and and mm-hmm. and find the bug and, and fix it or you know, so mm-hmm. um so after a few of these and, and I just decided I would take one course in like in counseling. And so I did that. And after that one course it was just like I fell in love with it. I came into my boss's office and said, remember that trip to Germany that we took and that conversation we had? And he's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I'm taking you up. I'm taking you up on your suggestion. And I am going to school (laughs) to be a psychotherapist. Wow. Everybody thought I was crazy. I was like, what? You're making really good money. You're not going to make much money. You're going to be in school. You're not going to make any money. And and it was, my family was blown away because I was always a, you know, a straight A student. And, and so I did that in psychotherapy school as well. But, but it was like, why would you do this? This is not a financially prudent decision. And uh-huh. like, it might not be, but this is a saving my life decision. So I don't want to be, you know, and it was something and I was fortunate that I, I, I was able at the time. This is before stock market crashes, multiple stock market crashes that I, mm-hmm. I could finance myself to go to school. And um, it took many, it took a long time for people to really think it was a good idea. So they saw how happy I was helping, you know, working yeah. as a psychotherapist. And then I became a soul healer. And they, you know, so it took a long time for family and friends to, I think the friends were more supportive, but the family was like, what has gone with her? <laughs> she was always saying she's going to make a million dollars before she's 40. And, you know, and what? Uh-huh. <laughs> Well. Now she's uh, totally done a, a, a pivot and it's going in a different direction we never saw coming. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. It's wild. And and so, you know, but I was listening. I was hearing all these people telling me. And it was, while it, was, it may sound in my retelling of it that it was obvious because so many people told me I'd be a therapist, but this was over the course of like eight months and, and um just random conversations that were, I guess, not random, but easy to dismiss, you know, but yeah, wow, yeah. I would make a great psychotherapist and well, I was in a woman's group at the time. And I brought that to their attention and they said, yeah, you would make a great psychotherapist. And I thought, Oh, mm-hmm. well, I think I would really like that a whole lot better. You know? Well, it sounds like the university. Decision. Yeah. It sounds like you were getting a lot of hints and guidance and you, um, you decided to, uh, to heed the calling and now here you are. Um, yeah. Tight with God. 
right with God. <laughs> That's my bestie. <laughs> yeah. right. Awesome. That's a great story. I love it. I I really enjoy when people share things like that with mm, with the listeners mm, because I think you know so many people do find themselves just sort of in like this this current and they just don't either don't think that they can get out of it or they shouldn't go out get out of it uh, or they're afraid to and you know yeah. I. Think I think when we share the stories of, um, you know, when we do those things and that it is possible to make a drastic change and kind of go rogue, um, you know, things turn out better than you may have imagined if you just, you know, rise to the challenge and muster up the courage and just do it. Yeah. And listen to like, if you are in, like, I was so, like I said, dead on the inside, it just, life was just so, ugh. I just, it was meaningless. It was, you know, so purposeless for me. And it just, I felt like I was dying every day. So barely could pull myself out of bed, you know, so to continue mm-hmm. to live my life. And so to listen to those things and then opens and that, you know, maybe life is challenge, challenging and you kind of need that job. So I'm not saying everybody should quit their job. Um, but finding maybe, maybe there's another avenue to create yeah create yeah. that sense of meaning and fulfillment for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love that. Um, no, I mean, where can people find out more about you and connect with you and find your book? Sure. So my book, An Intimate Dialogue with God, The Miraculous Power of Unconditional Self-Love, is on Amazon. And um, right now that's where you can buy it. And... Um, love to hear from anybody you can certainly contact me through my website noemigrace.com or my facebook author page noemi grace author if you look for that um and you can certainly contact me that way and something else that's that's new and, and i'm really thrilled about is that i have a radio show now and on ohm times radio and i i'm channeling live answers to people's burning questions right on air, so wow. it's called Yes, it's Access to Angels and Grace. So oh. Access to Angels and Grace on Ohm Times Radio. And so if you have if you're if any of the listeners are are feeling stuck or uncertain of next steps or finding certain areas of your life is challenging, you can get an answer from the divine by by going to Ohm Times Radio's website and seeing how to contact us because I have a co-host Lisa Berry and um, and uh, let us know that you would like to have an answer channel live for you. So those are the things, the ways people can okay. find me and find out more about me. Wow, that is super cool. I'm gonna have to check that out. I love that. Oh yeah, yeah. access to angels and grace. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. That's wonderful. I will definitely be checking that out. I hope everyone else does too. So uh, one last question before I let you go, Noemi, what would you like to share with our listeners about the value of going rogue? Uh, I, I just can't even imagine how I would have survived my life if I hadn't been willing to make that step. And it's like being willing, you can't figure it all out. And going rogue, it's, there's a level of trust. It is that kind of leap of faith it is is the willingness to choose the unknown because the known is is really really not satisfying you and it just changed my life i mean if i had stayed as 
software geek. I'm sure I would have been through many unemployments, and, and um, but really just having no joy in my life. This has brought so much joy. So um, it's it's that willingness to say, yeah, I do deserve better. I do deserve to feel better. I do deserve to have a more fulfilling life. And mm-hmm. um, you know, and not to be impulsive with it, but to just you don't have to figure it out all in your head, but to be open to see the options, to see what's available, like the psychotherapy messages that were coming at me. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you very much. This has been delightful. And, uh, wow, we actually, uh, we spent a lot of time on this. We, we, you shared so much <laughs> a, good a stuff. Lot of time, yes. <laughs> yeah. This was great though. So I really yeah, appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Noemi, thank you so much for, uh, for everything today and, um, everyone, thank you for hanging out, um, with Noemi and I today. I, I hope that you enjoyed our very delightful conversation. You know, if you, yeah. And, and listeners, if you love the, uh, if you love like the conversation with God books by Neil Donald Walsh, if you love A Course in Miracles, if, if you're a fan of Abraham Hicks or the writings of people like Marianne Williamson or Byron Katie, then you will absolutely love an intimate dialogue with God the Miraculous Power of Unconditional Self-Love by Noemi Grace, because it is just, um, it's like a a recipe that has a little dash of all of those things in it, and then your own experience, and it's just delightful. So I hope uh, hope our listeners check it out. Um, And everyone, I encourage you to... um, to share this, um, this show, the, the link, um, if you think that you know somebody that would benefit by hearing some of this, these words of wisdom, um, yeah, just uh, share the good shift and uh, make sure to subscribe if you haven't already done so. And, of course, the rating always lights me up. As a, <laughs> as a personal performance coach, I'm also ha- happy to help you make some shift happen in your own life. So if you want to find out what private coaching with me is all about, you know, just head on over to lauriebischoff.com or you can find me on any of the social media platforms. So thanks for listening, everybody. Until we meet again, stay feisty, my friends, and go make some shift happen. That goes for you too, Gary B. The preceding podcast was a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be directed to desantisprod at gmail.com.